0: Welcome to Courage in Healthcare, a podcast sponsored by Maxworth Consulting Group. I'm your host, Kyle Worthing. COVID 19 has altered our world in many ways. Members of the healthcare community have overcome unforeseen challenges and, in the process, have learned a lot about what it takes to see their patients and their practices through a worldwide pandemic. In our next few episodes, we'll be speaking with providers about the outbreak. We'll discuss the setbacks they've had to handle, the lessons they've learned, and what the future might hold for healthcare and physician practices. Today, we speak with Dr. Victoria Rundus, a pediatrician practicing in Gallatin, Tennessee. She shares her insights on the impact the virus and subsequent lockdown has had on our youth and how her practice has been able to remain financially viable. Well, thank you for being with us today. I just want to start off, uh, if you could just tell us a little bit more about yourself, maybe your specialty uh, and your practice.
1: Sure. So um, my name is Victoria Rundus, and I'm a pediatrician, and I've been in private practice for the past 18 years in Gallatin, Tennessee. I did my pediatric residency training at Monroe Carroll Jr. Children's Hospital at Vanderbilt, uh, where I was chief resident in pediatrics in 2002 to 2003. And I'm a partner in a practice with eight offices with about 27 physicians and 10 nurse practitioners.
0: Mm. Well, you mentioned that you're located in Tennessee. Can you tell us a little bit more about how your practice served your community maybe before the outbreak occurred?
1: So we are the largest provider of pediatric care north of Nashville in middle Tennessee. And uh, we're currently the second largest participant in the patient-centered medical Mm -hmm. home in the state. And last year, I believe, we saw about 150,000 individual patients Mm -hmm. uh, in our office. Mm
0: -hmm. And how has this virus and the subsequent closures impacted your community?
1: Well, uh, it affected our community as it affected um, pretty much all communities across the country. It started Mm -hmm. around the third week of March when Mm -hmm. students were asked not to return from spring break. And the date of the return was extended multiple times until the school finally decided to end the school year and go to virtual classrooms, which were optional. And at the same time, uh, restaurants, salons were closing. um, There were shortages in the grocery stores. And Mm -hmm. that, of course, developed a lot of fear and uncertainty in the community, which carried over to our practice. So mm-hmm. families started canceling office appointments very rapidly. And uh, we had a very precipitous drop in our office visits. We were very surprised just how quickly things changed. So mm. by the end of March, our visits were down about 20%. But mm-hmm. by April, we were down 60%, which is um, it had quite an impact on us
0: are you still seeing those same declines or have you kind of leveled off a little bit?
1: We have done very well digging ourselves out of this hole with a lot Mm. of changes that we've instituted. Um, so we're, we're starting to see the light, but it's been, it's been a lot of Mm -hmm. work, but Mm -hmm. uh, it, it is going better than it has.
0: Well, tell me a little bit about that work. I'm sure there's an an emotional and mental drain or challenge for the providers in your practice. Uh, Can you speak a little to to that challenge?
1: Yes. Um, Initially, uh, it had a profound impact on our nurses and Mm. and, and the physicians. There was a lot of worry about um, our nurses coming to work. They were frightened about bringing the illness home. To mm-hmm. their children or to their their uh, their parents, we have several staff members and physicians who are pregnant, who are older, who are immunocompromised. Mm-hmm. Um, our senior partner in our group just recently turned 70, and he would have loved to have stayed and worked till he died there, but mm. it became a reality that this was becoming probably too dangerous for him to continue working. So. He started the practice for us 40 years ago. He's very well respected in the community, but he has decided to retire. And it's been such a, an unceremonious end to his career. And Mm -hmm. we're not even able to get together to celebrate his retirement. We're going to have to wait to a later time. And that fear of course is carried over into the community.
0: Yeah, that's, that's hard. So how are you and your practice navigating these challenges?
1: Uh, We were able to start doing telemedicine visits Mm -hmm. as insurance Mm -hmm. companies began reimbursing us for such visits during the pandemic, which we had Mm -hmm. never done before. Um, It did require a minimal amount of training for all of the providers, but our uh, electronic medical record platform was already capable of utilizing telemedicine. So this worked best for patients that we were seeing from mental health concerns, such as anxiety, depression, and ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, we also saw patients on telemedicine with rashes and vomiting and minor injuries. However, because the schools and the daycares were closed, we weren't seeing a large volume of sick visits. So mm. thankfully pediatric uh, patients were not spreading COVID because of the closures, but they also weren't getting strep or hand foot and mouth disease which usually spikes in the spring and summer i think i've seen two cases of strep throat in four months which is Mm. very unusual so we we couldn't stay financially viable on telemedicine visits alone Mm. so we needed to address the understandable hesitation that parents had about bringing their child to the office Uh, For example, parents of newborns didn't want to bring their babies in for jaundice Mm -hmm. rechecks, which can be really Mm -hmm. dangerous, but they felt the risk was more acceptable keeping their baby at home rather than bringing them into the office. This was in late March, early April. So we started changing our office policies and procedures, and we've continued them now and in the future. We're not even sure when this may stop, but we're having... All of the patients wait outside in their car for their appointment, and when Mm -hmm. they arrive, they call Mm -hmm. in, and a nurse checks them in over the phone. Then we bring them directly to a room that's been cleaned. We are only seeing wells in the morning and early afternoon, and we're saving our sick appointments for the afternoon. Unless it's an emergency, then we'll have them in. Um, We've been seeing any potential COVID patients typically outside in the parking lot, which has been an adjustment trying to see them out there when you walk outside in the humidity in the Tennessee summer with your (laughs) goggles and your mask on and suddenly your goggles fog up and you're stumbling over to their car with (laughs) all your your pulse (laughs) oximeter and stethoscope to be able to see and examine the patient they do appreciate it that we're seeing them or testing them but that's been a challenge so um we've also so we're, we're really been focusing on getting our well visits back in the office so we've been assigning nurses at each of our locations to call families to schedule their well visits and in that conversation with the families we have the nurses explain the safety procedures that we have in place and it's been very well received because the parents are able to talk to someone directly about their concerns and they can talk to a physician if they have any other questions Um, we also got our uh, marketing company involved who we hired last year, which has been very mm-hmm. helpful. And we've had them assist us with drafting social media, website content, as also blast email to our patients and their families to let them know the changes we have been made to protect them. So mm-hmm. our well visit volume began to pick up in May, and that trend has continued through June. At one of our offices, we were actually our visits were up 50% in June compared to last year because June tends to be a slow time with people taking vacation, but no one's taking vacation due to COVID. So a lot more patients come back.
0: Oh, interesting. So uh, tell me a little bit more about maybe the needs of your practice. How have they changed? You mentioned things like running out to the parking lot and taking things with you. Do you see areas uh, that your practice may need new things, different things uh, in today's environment?
1: What we wish they, um, you know, office design, I think, may Mm. change um, Mm -hmm. because we were trying to, you know, separate our offices and all of our offices have a different setup. And so it would have been helpful to, you know, have rooms that were dedicated to patients who, we have more concern about them possibly posing an infection risk to our other patients. So the way we're doing it now works. It's a little awkward at one mm-hmm. office. We have them drive to the back of the building, enter through a side door that no one else goes through, go to a room. Others, like I said, we keep them out of the car, but that's not always the easiest thing to do. You know, we had joked about, we actually uh, wish we had a drive-through window in our office that like mm-hmm. that would be great, not only for COVID, but for giving flu shots. If families could just drive up, we ask them questions, give them the yeah. shot and go but also very helpful for COVID to be able to swab children for COVID testing in the car.
0: So um, what, what kind of lessons will you carry forward into this, you know, I'll call it a post-COVID-19 world?
1: Well, what we've been telling a lot of our families, and, and I hear it on the news, I hear it from other pediatricians, that we are often reassuring parents and patients that COVID-19 is not going to affect your child. And that's really only partially true. Mm. Um, and it's likely if, if, you know, unfortunately another illness were to spike like this, that, that may not affect children, it still can have complications. So even though COVID-19 rarely results in hospitalizations or complications to the pediatric population. And also some studies have shown that children are really poor vectors of transmission. We are very thankful for those things, but COVID-19 is definitely having an impact on children, but not in ways that we had predicted or expected. Mm -hmm. Um, We are seeing more adolescents who are scoring very high on their depression screening questions and are being referred to mental health providers. Um, Although some kids are very happy to be out of school a lot, truly do miss it and want to go back. And schools provide so much more to children than education. They provide mental health support through their guidance counselors. They provide nutrition to children who may be lacking adequate food at Mm -hmm. home. They provide socialization for kids and interaction with their friends and activities and sports that are vital to their, their physical and mental health. Um, so we have been making a lot more referrals to mental health providers who are now often backed up, who are doing Zoom calls as well and telemedicine mm. with their patients. But we've also had notice a change in uh, children and, and weight concerns, which has recently just come up. Um, for example, I had a, a seven-year-old little girl who came into the office last week. And I had seen her in early April for her well visit. And her mother had called for an appointment because she said that her seven-year-old had gained 17 pounds in mm. the last three months. And we thought, no, that can't be true. And she she truly had. And after I took a history from the mom, uh, I understood that both parents worked and the child was being taken care, being taken care of by very elderly grandparents who have health concerns themselves and are generally isolated in their home they don't take the kids out to a park because they don't want them being exposed to covid and they live in a mobile home with a very small yard so she Mm -hmm. and her little sister stay inside most of the day and the grandparents um, allow them to to eat what they want and so being little kids they gravitate towards sweets and junk food and I asked her, I said, so what did you have yesterday? And she had had snack cakes for breakfast and a cupcake. And she had eaten an entire bag of chips within a couple of days and was drinking soda, which she normally didn't have. And those are the things that we didn't really consider. I also had another, a 14-year-old boy yesterday who was very upset because he had gained 22 pounds since March. And Mm -hmm. he was very anxious about it and said, what can I do? I'm bored. I don't have anything to do. And he stays at home and he plays video games and eats a lot of junk food. And he said he and his friends used to communicate over the phone. He said, we don't really do that anymore. We're all bored and have nothing to do. Mm. So kids are being affected by the pandemic, just not in the ways that we necessarily expected.
0: Yeah. So these, these symptoms are these, um, uh, what's happening, especially with the weight gain, could also be still linked to anxiety and depression. Also, so it's kind of a interesting circle, I guess, of uh, of uh, uh, of symptoms uh, for you yes. to try to treat. Yes. Interesting. I'm I'm wondering as you're talking about the that maybe a disparity of impact uh, that this might have on children depending upon their socioeconomic background. Is that something that you guys are seeing?
1: It, yes, it absolutely has an impact. We have, um, in our practice, we have about 50 to 55% of patients who are ten care or are Medicaid program recipients. So there is a high level of poverty in the area and children who rely upon the school system for adequate nutrition. And that support system mm-hmm. is now gone for those mm-hmm. children and parents who can't afford to send their children to daycare, who are having to have caregivers care for them who may not be capable of doing that because of their, you know, it's a lot of grandparents that are taking care of these kids right now who may not be physically capable of playing with the child or taking them places and um, aren't able to give them that kind of physical activity that they need. But it was also an issue with telemedicine. So some families often didn't have phones that were capable of doing telemedicine. We weren't able to FaceTime even with them. Mm -hmm. They had phones that had limited data. And so Mm -hmm. for some patients, we were only able to do audio visits only, which truly limited, of course, what we're able to do. Mm. So, telemedicine isn't the answer for everyone. It's a hindrance for uh, a lot of our poorer patients.
0: Mm, interesting that, that's great insight. So, uh, what changes do you feel might need to be made for, at your practice that will help better prepare you maybe for a future pandemic or, or something like this uh, in the future?
1: well we this, we definitely learned a lot from this experience, and we've mm. learned that coordination of care from all of our staff. We have a purchasing coordinator who's been instrumental in taking inventory at our offices every day to make sure that we have enough face shields, masks, um, gowns, gloves, everything that we need. We have a nurse manager who's helping make sure our N95 respirators are cleaned appropriately and getting them back to us and also educating the nurses on our policies and procedures to reassure them that we're doing everything we can to keep them safe and to keep the patients coming into the office safe. Our chief medical officer for our practice has been excellent at communicating with us and getting our input for how we can best serve our patients and how we can uh, financially keep the practice viable. We are affiliated with uh, Vanderbilt Children's Hospital, so their partnership has been very helpful as well. Mm -hmm. They've been running weekly flash reports for us, showing us how our efforts to try to get more well visits have impacted our income and, and have helped us to stay viable. At one point in April, we had 60 days of cash on hand. So we're pediatricians. We don't have a mm-hmm. high level of profit margin. So mm-hmm. we were getting nervous about this 60 days of cash on hand. We were concerned we were going to have to let staff go, mm-hmm. um, which we didn't want to do of course ever, but especially not during a pandemic when they could lose their health insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had applied for a PPP loan, which we did not qualify for, um, mm-hmm. because of our affiliation with Vanderbilt. We had enough you know, under the 500 employees, but we still didn't qualify. So we figured out ways to be able to take care of ourselves and keep everyone employed. And we didn't have to lay off anyone, thank goodness. We hope that never happens and we've kept everyone's benefits intact. So that kind of coordination and flexibility among us um, has been very um, encouraging to all of us. As stressful as this has been, I think uh, I'm very proud of us as a a group, how I think our priorities have been uh, great keeping patients safe, but also trying to make sure we're keeping our staff employed and insured.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, Thank you for sharing that. And and what else do you think? Well, let me ask it this way. Uh, What could other providers learn from your experience? What kind of knowledge would you like to share with those that might be listening?
1: that everyone needs to have a voice in your practice. Um, mm-hmm. The employed physicians, the nurses, the front office staff, the patients, we have to take their concerns into account and try to adapt to that as best we can. Um, and that this is a coordinated effort among us that we you know, had to undertake. Um, It was too much for just our chief medical officer to handle. He recently took this position and had no idea the challenges he was going to face. And so we really appreciate all the hard work that he has done. But it's really been uh, a lot of communication, a lot of meetings, of course, not in person, but virtual meetings, coordinating um, and and get keeping us. Uh, above water.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. Uh, thank you for being with us today and, and we uh, we certainly wish you the best in the future and uh, look forward to hearing good updates uh, when, we, when we kind of get our head above water here with all this. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much, Kyle. Mm-hmm. Thank you for
0: listening to this episode of Courage in Healthcare. We look forward to sharing more perspectives on the pandemic from various providers in the upcoming weeks. If you or someone that you know would like to share your insights regarding the pandemic, please let me know. We'd be happy to set up a call. And until next time, I'm Kyle Worthing, and thanks for listening.